this. Simon was a swindler. Now he stands in contrast to Philip. He's not a model uh, example for us to emulate. Instead, uh, he is the contrast. He, is a, he stands in contrast to Simon, or to uh, Philip. And we're going to look at him a little bit closer. But I want you to understand that Simon is a deceiver. He is a tool of the devil himself. Let's pick back up at verse 9. Verse 9 says, But there was a certain man called Simon, who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great, to whom they all gave heed, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself also believed, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed, seeing the miracles and signs which were done. Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that through the laying on of the, uh, laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, that anyone whom, on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, Your money perish with you, because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this, this your wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Then Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me, that none of these things which you have spoken may come upon me. So when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. So again, we see this guy named Simon, and he stands in complete contrast to Philip. If you think about it, you got Philip over here who did what? Performed miracles. And it astonished the crowd, the miracles that he did. But what was the focus of Philip and the miracles? The glory of God. I mean, that was his focus, right? Philip at no point was like, look at me, look what I can do, look at this, this is incredible, look what I can do. Simon, in contrast, performed sorcery, he astonished the crowd, but the focus was what? On his greatness. The focus was on, look what I can do, look what I can do. Look again, listen to verse 9. It says, he astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great. Wow, what an incredible contrast between Simon and Philip. And then here's the challenge of this passage, right? What does it mean that Simon himself believed? 
we read that, and it's like, wait a second, didn't he believe? I mean, isn't he, isn't he a follower of Christ now? Isn't that, isn't that what it said? I mean, you know, right there it is, verse 13, you know, that just as Simon himself believed. Well, the answer to this is understanding what it means to have saving faith. What does it mean, I mean, to, to have saving faith? What does it mean to believe? What does it mean to, to have genuine faith? I want to give you a theological definition that can help all of us and help us to put this in context, help us to understand a difficult passage, and help us to think properly when it comes to our faith and, and the faith of others. Because th faith has to have three things. Three things. The first one is this. You have to have some knowledge about the object of your faith. Right? <laughs> it's hard to place your faith in something if you don't know anything about it. You can't do that. I mean, you have to have some knowledge. You don't have to have complete knowledge. You don't have to have an exhaustive knowledge about everything. But at least you have to know something about it. Right? You have to have some knowledge in order for you to have faith in something. If you don't know about it, you can't place your faith in it. Does that just make sense? Common sense, right? You don't know about it, you can't place your faith in something you don't know. So it begins there. In fact, we read in Scripture in Romans, um, how can they have faith unless what? Unless they've heard. So they have to have heard something. They have to have some knowledge. You can't have faith without some, some amount of knowledge. So that's the first thing. The second thing is not only do we have to have some knowledge, the object of our faith must be true. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, it's not enough to just have some knowledge that, and for us to put our faith in that. It's a, it, we also, the, the object of our faith must, must be proven to be true. I can believe that if I flap my arms really hard, I can fly. But is that true? <laughs> no. You're going to say, that's ridiculous. That's crazy. You know, you can't, you can't do that. Why? Because we, we know truth. We can recognize, we can understand that that doesn't match with physics. It's not something that can, be, that can, be ha that can happen because it's contrary to what? Truth. So if we are going to have faith, it has to begin, we have to have some knowledge, and then the object of our faith at least has to be true. It can't, it can't be something that's untrue. And then the third part of faith is there has to be a submission to the object of our faith. So with those three things, we can have genuine, authentic saving faith we have to have some knowledge the object of our faith must be true and then there must be a submission to the object of our faith now what do i mean by that so i have some history with this chair i look and i believe that that chair i've seen other chairs and i have some knowledge of what chairs do i can sit in it and it'll hold me up that's what i've seen and known and heard and believe so I have some knowledge about chairs. Not only do I have some knowledge, I can look around the room and I can see that that has been tested. And I'm seeing several people that are doing what? They have placed 
their faith, they've tested all these chairs are holding people up, right? So it's been tested to be what? True. The only thing that's missing is what? Now I would have to submit. I would have to do what? Actually sit in the chair myself. It's not enough for me to have knowledge. In other words, it's not enough for me to have knowledge about Jesus to be saved. I can have a ton of knowledge about Jesus and still not be saved. It's not enough. It's not enough to just have knowledge, and it's not enough that Jesus, even though Jesus is true, I can even say this. I believe Jesus is true. I believe he really walked the earth. I believe that Jesus really existed. I believe he really died on the cross. And I believe all of these things really happened. I have some knowledge, and I believe that those things really happened, but it's that saving knowledge. Listen, it doesn't happen until what? The third part of faith, a submission. It isn't until I sit in the chair. It isn't until I accept Christ and say, Lord, I submit myself to you. Those three things create a saving faith. Those three things are necessary. Now, consider this. What if I submit to the wrong thing? What if I do part three, but the thing that I have submitted to is false? False God, false belief. Is that saving faith? No. It's got to be the combination of I've got the right knowledge, I have the right information, and the, the object of my faith is true, and not only is the object of my faith true, I have submitted to that. I have given my life to Christ. So then when we go back and look at Simon, and it says that Simon himself believed, we have to ask ourselves this question. What was the object of his belief? What did he believe? Did he believe that Jesus was the Messiah? Did he believe that Jesus is the Redeemer? Or was his faith his belief in something else that he has submitted himself to. And when we look a little bit closer, here's what we discover. We discover that Simon did not believe in Jesus Christ as his Savior. Rather, Simon believed these miracles. Simon believed in the miracles that Philip was performing. Simon believed that these things were incredibly great, even better than his sorcery. Simon believed in those things, and, and as a result, there was no hard change. There was no hard change. There was nothing in his life where Jesus was, was transforming him. He had just, he had knowledge about miracles, and his faith was in miracles. His faith was in the moment. His faith was in the things that were going on and how he wanted that. That's what he believed in. That was the object of his faith. That's what he had submitted himself to. And that's why he would turn around and say, hey, I want more of that. I want to be able to, to just lay my hands on someone and give them the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the, the object of his faith was out of place. The object of his faith was out of place. A question for us is, have you placed your faith in Christ? Have you placed your faith there? Because he is the object, the proper object of believing faith.